0: there are 25 full-time first-class umpires
1: and i manage them so that is everything from recruiting contracting developing assessing appointing and retiring
0: right so how did that how did that all come about
1: well i i was an umpire when i stopped playing i did a bit of umpiring and i became a first-class umpire and i spent two years on the ecb reserve list and during the second year I applied to an advert from ICC, they were looking for somebody to manage the elite umpires. And so I applied and I got the job. So I worked as the ICC umpires and referees manager at the time the new elite panel was introduced in 2002. I worked with ICC for, five, for four years and they moved to Dubai in 2005 and while I was in Dubai I got the offer to come and do the same work with ECB and I jumped at the opportunity.
0: So how was that kind of experience working for the ICC?
1: It was quite surreal really um, for someone who hadn't played professional cricket to all of a sudden be given a job at the very highest level of the sport which involved appointing to test matches to ODIs around the world to Cricket World Cup 2003 in South Africa. And it was just a fantastic um, opportunity just to to learn about the world of professional cricket.
0: So do you think that, you know, you said you hadn't played professional cricket before. Um, Had you come through the ranks in terms of umpiring in club uh, club cricket, county cricket?
1: Yeah, I started umpiring around about 19... 1987-98 1987-98 with schools cricket in Worcester uh, I, was, I was a school teacher then um, the headmaster wanted me to run a team on Saturdays so I couldn't play and if I was going to umpire I thought I'd better learn the laws and I, I just went from there to Worcester Evening League Division 5 4-3 up to the Birmingham League, county second team, minor counties and then I was appointed to on the first class list in 2000
0: and do you think there is a kind of a path um, for up-and-coming umpires?
1: There is a path, and that's one of my responsibilities, to make sure... That, yeah,
0: if you could just kind of go into yeah, that Yeah, the Yeah, well. path,
1: the pathway is... We, we have a preference for former players who, history tells us, have been really successful when they've converted to, to being an umpire. You can quote people like David Shepherd, Peter Willey, uh, Neil Malander, to name but a few you know, currently Rob Bailey, Tim Robinson, well-known players, really successful umpires, Ian Gould, Richard Kettlebert, have all played the game. And they have the great advantage of understanding the environment, um, and they do, and they're able to understand and anticipate what's, what's coming in the game and, and react appropriately. But they also are highly skilled man managers, and they manage the people in highly competitive situations. And there are well-known umpires who haven't played First-class cricket. There's Jeff Evans, who's currently coming to to start of his last year before he retires, who's been on the list since 1989, I think. Um, And all of these people are um, the great man managers, and the people who haven't played professional cricket have got to work a lot harder to get the credibility. But after several years, if they're any good, they will get the credibility, and they'll be respected as an umpire. And their past would be irrelevant.
0: So, what are actually the paths to go forward? So, if you can just run through that yeah. as well, you mm. say it's your job to kind of—is it would it be fair to say—pick them out of yeah. the setup? Mm. How would one get? How would one get recognised?
1: Well, there's um, a recreational arm of the ECB Association of Cricket Officials, and they—that's a, a membership organisation—and they provide umpires for Premier Premier Division cricket, and. If they wanted to go beyond premier division, they could be nominated to what we call the national panel. Uh, The national panel is 70 or 80 umpires who umpire in county second 11 cricket, and they stand with first class umpires. And they also do what was minor counties, which is now going to be called the national counties. So these umpires umpire throughout the summer doing high level of recreational cricket when they're ready, when their performances demonstrate that there's uh, some prospects or potential there and there are vacancies in the professional game, they will be given opportunities in the professional game. So how game. are
0: performances assessed? Because obviously you don't have, the, um, in, the, in that level, um, television replays as such to kind of to monitor. So how, how are they assessed?
1: Well, we have more and more venues now or, or games are filmed on uh, video and we have access to all that video through, through the internet. Uh, we have captains who report on them. And unlike other areas of the game, the captains in second eleven cricket are, are, are much more objective because th- there's less at stake in a second eleven game. There's, there's no prize money there. So in a way the coaches stroke captain will see themselves as the gatekeeper to professional cricket. And it, it's really quite clear if somebody's participating at that level if it's a level that they're not comfortable in, or alternatively a level that they excel in. And by providing opportunities for them, we get to know a lot about them, about the individuals. And we spend time developing them. They they come to their own day with the first-class umpires every pre-season. And the first-class umpires spend time passing on what, what they know, what the skills that they have to help them on the journey through and to make the, the transition.
0: And do you think... Um, presently there are a lot of um, ex-players and non-ex-players actually wanting to become umpires? Or is it kind of one you just got to... you know, you're searching for and you're advertising it out? Or no, like, is there a demand?
1: There is a huge interest of uh, becoming a first-class umpire, especially from within the game. Uh, the PCA always... Um, present this to the to the current players uh, as an option when they finish playing and there's throughout the list at the moment I think of the 25 full-time umpires there are three who haven't played first-class cricket in on the national panel there are four former players on the national panel waiting for the time where the vacancies arise and hopefully hoping they can step up to the plate
0: and in your role currently what are the greatest challenges
1: the greatest challenge is to provide the umpires with instant feedback, which is supportive, objective, which helps them move forward. Uh, the biggest challenge of the game is that the length of time it takes to play the game. And Over that, X? Well, I'm thinking more of the multiple day games, right. where a game lasts four days. And that cricket has a challenge to everybody in terms of the time, the amount of time it takes to play it, to organise it. Um, So collecting information from the game, which is objective and helpful to the umpire, is my greatest challenge.
0: And do you think there is a support structure in place for umpires? Look at the advent of DRS. There's a lot of scrutiny now on umpires, more than ever. Is there that support structure? If an umpire gets a decision wrong, you know, instantaneously, the whole world knows, if you're Mm. talking about test level.
1: Well, the umpires at test level... The best thing about DRS is that they will know immediately whether they're right or not, and whether they're right or not, they can move on. So it actually brings closure to the decision. So if they're overturned, initially they may think lose a bit of confidence, but overriding factor to the experienced ones is, at least the right decision has been made, and now I can move on. So that closure actually supports them. And the thing about having more and more technology, it actually makes the umpiring itself more and more challenging. And there's a, there's a temptation to over rely on the technology, which is the last thing you want to do. The umpire has to keep umpiring, just umpire as he sees things, as they unfold, make the decisions he has to make. If technology comes in and overrules it, okay, that's, that's good. But they mustn't umpire, no, and mustn't be umpiring, knowing that there's technology. So they still must make the decisions, but then they can always be corrected if it's incorrect.
0: So, do you think that technology could be potentially used more? Yeah, I'm thinking more of uh, no balls, etc. I know they check it after mm. every wicket, but
1: I. It depends on the playing conditions that you're using, because ICC have had to change the law to fit in with their DRS protocols. So if you're umpiring with ICC regulations then there is probably more scope to use technology to help with no balls. If you're umpiring to the laws of cricket where the the onus is on the bowler to show that he is legal, the umpires then don't need the technology. And we need to be really careful by introducing technology at the top level that we don't necessarily follow that at all levels because if you're not careful, you will de-skill the umpires because the no ball calling, for example, of an umpire at the bowler's end is so skillful and it's you need a lot of confidence to do it. It's a great opportunity to build a relationship with the, um, with the, the bowler, which is so important in managing the game that if you take that away from him, then you could be de-skilling them.
0: So what do you think is the hardest part of umpiring?
1: Um, the hardest part is to, to create that consistency of application of playing conditions, especially around player behavior, managing the player behavior in the competitive environment so that you're seen as fair and yet everyone's got the equal opportunity.
0: And obviously, it's a long, it's a long day. Sports concentration, mentally, um, yeah. physically, it's mm. still demanding. Mm. Are there tests that that umpires need to pass?
1: Yeah, we have we have annual fitness tests. and We have annual vision tests. Uh, we have special vision tests which are written or, or designed for cricket umpires, which um, which are tests test the sharpness and the. The eye, of the eye movement and the, the accuracy of eye movements and the ability to move and look at the right thing at the right time and keeping your head still etc etc so we do a lot of work on eye movements we do a lot of work on strength fitness testing so fitness aerobic fitness ironically is really important but also nutrition and diet is exceptionally important in the past we always used to say to the counties when you supply a meal for the players the umpires will have the same but of course the players will eat a lot of carbohydrates and that's the last thing the umpires need because they're not expending the energy. The umpires need protein and a little bit and and often rather than a lot. So in most cases they're carrying small protein bars and they need to keep themselves hydrated, not to the extent that they need to be leaving the field regularly but they need to maintain the high hydration levels to ensure that their concentration and focus is as sharp as it can be. So they have to put an awful lot of time and effort into planning for their cricket, planning to get themselves in the right frame of mind and to get themselves where they need
0: to be. And having worked for the ICC and now the ECB, um, perhaps you're a good person to ask on this. Neutral umpires, what are your views on that?
1: My views are different now than they were obviously when I was working at ICC. The claim, ICC claim to want to have the best umpires as often as possible umpiring the top cricket and everybody would like that. But while you restrict the elite panel to a finite number it's very difficult to achieve that because currently there are four English umpires on the elite panel out of 12 which means, and there's three Australians on there, so join the Ashes, there are seven umpires, there's only five umpires left who can umpire the Ashes. Now, whether or not they're the best umpires is, is for other people to decide. But it makes it really difficult if you need to make sure that the umpires are independent of the teams playing, because it's generally regarded that the best umpires are from Australia and England, and yet the Australia and England teams are deprived of the best umpires in most of their cricket.
0: So do you think that's a law that the game moving forward should be looking to change?
1: It was always the intention in 2002 when they set up the elite panel for it to be a starting point so that at the right time they can revert back to maybe having one local umpire. That hasn't happened and... There are some countries in the world who, who definitely don't want that. They want independent umpires. There is a potential chance that as the role of the third umpire becomes more important and while you've got the opportunity to correct decisions and there is so much scrutiny, there is an argument to say it doesn't really matter which umpires are in the middle. It's the third umpire who needs to have that independent view because he can always overturn or the decision will come to him anyway. So the more technology comes in, there might be a chance for um, home umpires on field, but you'd have to retain that independence as third umpire.
0: And in terms of the, the laws of the game, I did touch on it just earlier about overrates and such. Is that probably the hardest thing for umpires to police?
1: It's a challenge, uh, but to me, it's all about the umpires managing the game outlining very clearly before the cricket starts what their expectations are to the players and how it's going to be enforced and how they're going to support the players over the last three years we've had we sat down with the umpires three years ago especially relating to 2020 because we can't afford to have 2020 matches overrunning because of floodlight curfews and the one county that doesn't have floodlights but want to start the games as late as possible so people can come and watch them. So it's really important that we finish the games on time. And the umpires came up with a system where they were very proactive working with the captains and they will um, update the captain after six overs, 10 overs and 15 overs and tell them exactly where they are. And if it's been so successful in the last three years, that's only been about four, maybe five over eight penalties, which given that over four over three years there are nearly 400 matches that's a phenomenal achievement and it's all epitomized on 2020 finals day we have three matches decided by cricket. Cricket's determining the winner and all matches are finishing on time and that's in the most highest pressure cauldron where captains need to be precise they need to think through yet if they're supported and motivated there is time to get the game through and that's the the real focus of the umpire is manage the game share or support the players and get the game through
0: and in terms of i wanted to ask you this question about kind of like the darker side of the game talking more specifically about ball tampering again is that diff- how how difficult is that for for the umpires to kind of monitor
1: is, it's easy to monitor it's sometimes difficult to to make the call you are going to be reported So do the as.
0: umpires, is it in their kind of remit to continually check the ball?
1: Mm. Yeah, the ball is checked all the time. Even if the umpire doesn't take the ball, the ball might be rolling on the ground. They will always take an opportunity to look at the state of the ball, not because they're worried about ball tampering, more because the next, the next delivery, the ball might be hit out the ground. So they need to replace one of similar wear. So they'll always have in their mind what state the ball is in, so that they can replace it with a like, a like, like, for like, like, like for like ball. But then, of course, in one fifty over cricket now they have two balls, so they look at it at the end of each over anyway. Uh, twenty twenty, they're very much alive to twenty twenty in terms of a ball that might start doing something unusual. They will straight away look at it and then monitor that.
0: And then in terms of any kind of rule changes that have come into the game, things that you feel that might benefit the game. Is there any, anything that you, that you kind of believe wholeheartedly has benefit or that could change to move the game forward? Help umpires, et mm. It's a difficult question.
1: It but. is tricky. Tricky with no notice. Um, we've just in, we have just introduced a new regulation for the overrates, which will be really interesting to see how that works next year. We've taken away the six run penalty for the slow over rates, and we've introduced that if the over rate is fails to reach the, the levels we want it we're actually going to take, take one of their fielders and bring it inside the ring and the rationale for that is down to there's a game at Bristol last year which was for the spectator ruined because a six run penalty was awarded at the start of the last over game over so the spectators were deprived of a close finish but if instead of awarding six runs we were able to say all right, get, you've got to be one fielder into the circle so you've got one fielder fewer out the, the, there's still a huge advantage to the batting side but the game is determined by cricket so that's quite a radical change this year which it would be really interesting to see how the, how the players react to that.
0: And just one final kind of question, if I may. Um, looking back at the World Cup final. Yeah. Ball comes in, hits Ben Stokes' back whilst he's diving in, goes to the boundary, six runs awarded. Now, to the less of the law, you know, after the game and such, a lot was said that... Not, I'm not saying that the result would have changed or anything, just I'm talking about that specific moment. Um, one extra run was awarded. So it should have been five. Now, in terms of the umpires working together with the third umpire, you've got the technology there. Was it just just an error on their part?
1: It was an error. uh, But there is so much that they have to be aware of and looking for and checking. And when you're in that situation, in that cauldron, where you've got four umpires, a match referee, all of whom agreed with each other, it's very difficult to go against that. The trick the trick about an umpire is there's so much to look for every delivery, you have to look for the right thing at the right time. And it's totally understandable that at some point in that game they weren't necessarily watching the fielder at the instant they needed to because there would have been so many other things that they would have had to focus on. And they just had to make the call, they made the call, and they stuck with it. So
0: in Benefit- a the third umpire, would he does he ask the the producer as such whoever's broadcasting it um what 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 replays are available as such how does how does that work
1: they have a direct link to the director the directors in this country for example are outstanding and they know what these they're going to be asked before they're asked they're so they're so helpful and supportive and but the third umpire could ask what have you got show me because they have a layout of the cameras in front of them so they could give them a specific camera if they wanted to, but they can say long on, log off camera, is there anything there? And the yes or no, and they'll provide whatever they've got. Yeah. Okay.
0: Well, Chris, um, you've given us a fantastic insight into the world of umpiring. Really appreciate your time today. It's a pleasure. So Neil Kagram, Cricket Life Stories, Chris Kelly. Thank you. All right.